You are now listening to Asking for a Friend with Talk Doc, sharing insights through real, honest, and practical ways to improve your communication and relationships. Featuring your hosts, Dr. Pamela Kreiser, Meredith Edwards, and Taylor Polendo. Imagine, out of the blue, you receive an email from a woman saying, you don't know me, but I'm no longer dating your husband. I'm sorry for the pain I caused your family. Or imagine being abused by your own mother. Or nearly being killed by a drunk driver. Would you choose to reconcile with any of them? Well, these events actually happened and were featured in Real Simple Magazine's article called Stories of Forgiveness. In all three cases, they all chose to forgive. One forgave her mother. One forgave a drunk driver. But in the case of the affair, Christy decided not only to forgive, but also to reconcile, even after she received that shocking email. Remember, forgiveness and reconciliation are entirely different processes. To forgive is to cut the tie. It might also mean to end the relationship. But to reconcile means to restore the relationship. And when the stakes are high, this can be very extensive. So here's what happened to Christy. After she received the email, when Christy read it, she felt paralyzed. How could this have happened? She never saw it coming. She confronted her husband, who initially denied the allegation. But then later, he admitted he was having a four-month affair. Over time, Christy and her husband were able to work through the resentment, guilt, and shame. They decided to reconcile. And Christy now says their relationship is stronger than it was even before the affair. But not everyone would react that way. Some people would elect not to reconcile. So it all comes down to this idea that you and I have a choice. But when we have the same relationship goals, we might choose to also reconcile and not just forgive. So how do we reconcile? Well, Hawker and Wilmot suggest we follow Shriver's model of the four strands of reconciliation. They are truth, forbearance, empathy, and commitment. The first strand is the truth. In this strand, we uncover the truth by acknowledging and communicating about what happened. It means to examine the harm. It means to be brave by getting into the details and exposing them. The second strand of the model is forbearance. By definition, forbearance is to show restraint, tolerance, and hold back. Hawker and Wilmot argue that forbearance is essential to fight off the temptation of seeking revenge. Remember, revenge is the opposite of forbearance. They state that revenge sets in motion an uncontrollable chain of consequences that often eliminates the possibility of reconciliation. While it might be tempting to give someone payback, if we truly want to reconcile, we can't. We don't give people what they deserve. We show restraint and prioritize the relationship above getting even. The third strand is empathy. By definition, empathy is to understand and share the feelings of another. It means to connect with the other person. It means to understand that all humans fail at times. And it comes down to the realization that everyone makes mistakes. Everyone has a different set of struggles. I love how Brene Brown describes empathy. She says, quote, empathy is the best reminder that we're not alone. Rather than judgment, which exacerbates shame, empathy conveys a simple acknowledgement that you are not alone. I've been there. Empathy is connection. It's a ladder out of the shame hole, she says. The last strand is commitment. To be committed is to agree to do something in the future. In this case, it involves being committed to the relationship. 
This is a focus on we rather than me. So as you complete this strand of reconciliation, you focus on the relationship going forward rather than dwelling on the past. Today, we have a special guest who has experienced all of this and more. It's taken her on an extraordinary journey to reconcile with her father who was incarcerated. Her name is Shardasia Lede, and we have invited her to share her story of forgiveness and reconciliation from an insider's perspective. Welcome to our podcast. Hi, everyone. My name is Shardasia. I'm a lover of nature, beaches, and candles. I'm an entrepreneur, actually. Um, I have a candle business in the light, E-N-T-H-E-L-I-G-H-T, if you want to check it out. Um, I'm also a social worker. I enjoy traveling and originally from San Diego, but now I'm in love with Long Beach, so I don't think I'll ever leave. Welcome, welcome. I like it. So we wanted to hear an insider's perspective on forgiveness and reconciliation. Help our listeners understand how you're an insider to that. So I am the daughter of someone impacted by mass incarceration. My father has been incarcerated my entire life. So there hasn't been a time that I've met him beyond behind bars. Interesting enough, he was uh, sentenced maybe a couple of days after I was born. So that's been a difficult journey to work through for understanding myself, also having the dynamics with parents and also having to forgive him because I think there was a lot of things that I just didn't understand or I was angry about. And now as an adult, I think I understand things very different in the depths of a, like a lot of things, whether it's emotion or systemic racism, which helped me to get to this point, but it was definitely a hard journey. Hmm. Is your first memory of your father in a prison environment then? Yes. Yes. So I guess my epiphany would be, I think when I was younger, I had a lot of emotions and I was always termed as someone very sensitive. And maybe this is probably one of the reasons because he wasn't there. But I just remember like my parent, my friends had parents who were always around, whether it be like the, the father and the mother. And I just had my mother who did a great job, by the way. So when I was younger, I was angry and I was like, well, it's his fault. He doesn't want to be a part of my life. He's missing out. And so I, that was my motivating factor, which it got me far but I had to actually process the emotion side of it. And so when I was in high school, randomly, I told my mom, like, I want to go see my dad. I think it was 10th grade or I was 16. And so I was like, I want to go see my dad. And she was like, okay, she's been very supportive and allowed that open line of communication, whether I want to communicate with him or I don't. She's always said like, this is your father. And she would communicate with me, Mm -hmm. but she never forced anything or ever spoke bad about him. She allowed me to create my own perspective of him. And so the first experience was going to see him in a prison. And I think at my age, I wasn't mentally prepared of what that meant. And so I think when I went, like it was, they counted how many earrings I had. They counted how many bobby pins I had like certain colors you couldn't wear. We brought extra clothes because it was like, you can't wear certain clothes that the guards wear. You can't wear the same colors as inmates wear. So it was just a lot mentally that I wasn't prepared. I was like, I just wanted to meet the person who's my father. That's all I was trying to do. And this is, this is in 10th grade, you said? Mm-hmm. 10th okay. grade. This is the first time I'm meeting him. I did talk to him on the phone, but I think I had a little bit of 
distance. And I think in those times I still had anger. So it wasn't mm-hmm. the same. So this was on my terms. Yeah. So this is like, mm-hmm. I'm ready. But he's always made the effort to communicate with me, whether it be with letters or calling. Um, he's been diligent with that. But for me, this is like, I want to see, like, I want to understand a little bit more. From that experience, I think I was a little bit overwhelmed with emotions mm, yeah and so the first time we sat down and just communicating it was just like a lot of crying yeah more than anything because it's like wow like I kind of look like you like mm. <laughs> I think you are my father like so it's like this dynamic of just trying to understand things and he did allow me this opportunity he's like say whatever you want like cuss me out if you want to let's just be open but I didn't necessarily feel that in that moment mm-hmm. but I think after it was leaving him and seeing like the the gates of the jail just like close or the prison mm. close I was like I don't think I'm ready for this and it was just emotionally a lot mm-hmm. so that was the first actual experience of me going to visit him and see that it took some years for me to see him again and mm-hmm. I think I had to actually heal and take the time because that that's a lot to see and actually deal with and go through that sounds like a very um, impactful experience did you do something to process it or did you keep it to yourself? Yeah. Did you talk about it? Um, for a long time, I didn't process or I heal, heal from it. I thought like I was good. I didn't need to talk about it. And maybe it was because when I did talk about it, even I think it's growth right now and I'm not bawling my eyes out is because it was a lot to talk about mm-hmm. and I didn't know it impacted me so much. But I think from counseling, I think I see, I sought out counseling maybe undergrad first year. So first year of college, I sought out counseling. Also in undergrad, I took a sociology class and from sociology, we were learning about mass incarceration. And I was like, wait, this sounds familiar. This might be like a little bit what my father was dealing with, but I didn't want to go and explore the depths of it. But I had epiphanies Mm -hmm. and certain signs that I started to heal from it in process. And I think it was through counseling and through journaling. And eventually I did start to talk about it. And I started to recognize that some people that I grew up with in the neighborhood and other people around me, they dealt with the same things, but we just never talked about it. And so Mm -hmm. it took me actually talking about it, that it helped me because I suppressed a lot of emotions for a long time, Mm -hmm. not recognizing like this actually affects me more than what I actually pay attention to. Mm -hmm. Sounds like you had some, some empathy of sort of like a, you weren't alone experience in that beginning of college. Yeah, certainly. And I think also with the empathy, I think the growth and when I went to see my father again, when I was actually an undergrad, it was understanding his side of the story, because before I was so angry and I didn't want to hear his story. And for me, I'm the youngest from both my mother and my father. Mm -hmm. And so for me, what I took it and I internalized is he has two other children before me. So it was like, okay, you made the mistakes already. Like you should get it. And the third one, I'm the baby, get it right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Rather than saying like, okay, what were the dynamics for you to make those decisions or what was lacking that occurred in your life that you made these decisions? Mm -hmm. That's the process that I had to go through. Although I was still healing and hurting, I was able to get into that space. But that was the hardest part because when you're healing and you're hurting, you don't want to hear someone else's side. You just want to sit in your own emotions and be like, well, this is how I feel. I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. The image I had it through the series and what you're saying is sort of like you from your first meeting with him to 
getting through things that you are learning, not only about yourself internally, but about how this major part of your life has affected you. It sort of was like almost like the door into forgiveness. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially, I don't know. It took me a long time to actually come to this word because I thought I forgave him a long time ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought I forgave him because I said, like, I forgive you. When you were in 10th grade? Yeah. Okay. I felt like that was the time that I thought I forgave him because I'm coming to see you. It's on my terms. I thought I forgave you because I'm Mm. coming to see you. And even though you've tried to communicate with me all this time, I thought that was my turning the new leaf. But I felt like there's more work that comes with that. And Mm -hmm. I didn't do the work myself. And something that I feel like is a quote is resentment is like drinking the poison, but expecting the other person to die. Mm. Yes. And so for me, I was just in this place, although I forgave, I didn't do the actions to forgive you. I was still angry. Mm -hmm. I was still hurt. And I was still going through a whirlwind of emotions. And eventually I had to sit in my emotion and I had to figure out where is this emotion coming from? What is wrong with you? Like, why did this occur? So I had to go through like the role of decks and actually reflect and process all of that. And that's how I actually got to forgiveness more so than anything, forgiving myself, hmm. because I feel like I acted out in certain ways mm-hmm. because of this, but I'm not recognizing it. It was just living my life, but mm-hmm. it's all connected and sourced from that situation. So that's really interesting. So you went to forgive him and found out it was not a destination. It was the beginning of a journey. Yes. Yeah. That was a much longer process. And it's still a process. Yeah. Because I feel like even now with the dynamics of like what our relationship is, he's still incarcerated and hopefully soon coming home, he's actually supposed to go out for parole, but with that, it's like the financial difficulties to find him a lawyer and things of that sort. But it's definitely a lot to even forgive because even with him coming home, we still have to learn each other. Like I'm an adult now and I've lived my life a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, what does that mean as far as having a father at 26 when you haven't had one? Yeah. The dynamics of just learning like my siblings or even his side of the family, I have to learn people who are of my lineage, but I have nothing to, I have no connection or didn't know anything about them before this. Speaking of other people, maybe family members, has everyone always been supportive of you wanting to spend time with him or talk to him, forgive him, have a relationship with him? Yeah. Did you find discouragement from some people? I haven't found any discouragement. Thankfully, I feel like that's a a great thing. I have a small network of like my support system is very small. Even my family is small within itself. And again, like I said, my mom has always been supportive of you make the decision for your life. I'm going to tell you who your father is, but you don't have to have a relationship or you don't have to have a relationship. You make that decision on your own. So I think she's always been supportive. She's just like, let me know how I fall into the place of what I need to do to support you. A good mom. Yeah. No one has discouraged it. They've always been supportive of the experience and going through it and figuring out the best way to support me because I think it's more so me needing the support emotionally and like the whirlwind of what that means or what it requires, I guess, essentially. Yeah. So your dad, you've talked to him obviously more over time, or am I assuming that? Yeah, I have. 
uh, here and there occasionally. It's not, not like I can call him up, but yeah, here and there. Yeah. Too. <laughs> yeah. You've started to see him more frequently. Where do you think he is on the road of forgiveness and reconciliation? For him, I think a little bit he's been hard on himself because of the fact like, you know, he's missed some significant parts of my life. Mm -hmm. But I think considering the environment that he lives in, he hasn't allowed that to hinder him. So I, I still even commend him for being in those circumstances because I, I can't imagine being incarcerated for 26 years yeah. and still having the, the strength mentally to like work through what that looks like. And interesting enough, I think it's also like a, the circle of life as a social worker, my internship was in twin towers jail. So wow. I actually worked in a jail. Wow. And so even seeing that dynamic and there was a lot of difficulties doing that. Like I had to sometimes cause my mm -hmm. shifts were 10 hours. And I did not like it because of the fact there was no windows. Like I can't easily just walk out the door. Like I have to go through the security and all those things. And that was mentally draining on myself. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I had to put myself in my father's shoes. Like, this is how he lives. Mm -hmm. He's definitely hard on himself. And I'm like, wow, that's a beautiful thing that even though you're going through all of these things, you're still able to be lively. And he's definitely open and welcoming of our relationship. He always tries to make it stronger with myself as well as my sister and my brother. I'm amazed by mm -hmm. how strong he could be because I don't know if I could have done the same thing. But I'm hearing a lot of empathy again. Yeah. yeah. Just even saying, what would it be like to live in that environment? Uh, that's really has such a flavor of empathy. That's growth. Because <laughs> that hasn't always been there. So I, I think, and maybe that's also with going through grad school and social work. I think maybe that's like my uh, tool and skill. What I can switch on is being a little bit more empathetic because I think it's also something it's, there's a lot of things it's bigger than you. It definitely helps you to, to mold you and grow. But I think there's some situations that sometimes we pay attention to the smaller aspects that don't necessarily mean as much, hmm. but I just feel like for me, I think it's empathy because I think it, it could be worse. And I also figure I can grow from this and maybe I can impact other people from this and, and speak on this because I wish that someone spoke about this sooner so I can know. Originally, I felt like I was the only person, but then me communicating about it, I'm like, oh, I'm not. Like, there's a lot of people that go through yeah. this. Yeah. So what would you tell someone who is the former you? How would you talk to little you as you've now gone through this you're in the restoration part of this relationship with your father. If you could go back and talk to you at 16, preparing for that big meet, thinking that you had made it to that forgiveness point, what would you want to say to yourself at that point? I think I would say be vulnerable, be patient, step into your light and figure out what peace and solitude looks like in your life. Because for me, my father made his decisions and that's where it landed him. So I was trying to take on his experiences as well as my own. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't for me. Mine was figuring out my life and my passage and my own way of life. Be honest and aware of how you feel, because I think a lot of the years that I probably doing unhealthy behaviors that not paying attention or not even communicating effectively of like how I felt was because I didn't tap into my emotions as much as I could have or communicating and whatever that means is finding a way of release. Mm -hmm. I'm a talker, but I don't I did not talk about that 
mm-hmm. incident or the situation for a long time. And a little bit, I think I, I didn't talk about it because I felt like I internalized it as an embarrassment a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so I think it would just be my advice is to find a form of release and really tap into your, your peace and figuring out how you find that. So it sounds like your education was a big catalyst in this process. And you did counseling before that. What started for you the road of forgiveness and reconciliation? I think it was education is the first thing. Because I think for me, I used to say like, well, that's his fault. He doesn't want to be in my life. So I'm just going to show him that he wants to be in my life. So I was like trying to one up the situations, whether that means like you're going to be proud and you're just going to see me on whether it's on TV or being famous or something like I'm going to make something of myself, whether you're here or not. And then it was going to college and then seeing a different exposure, um, not growing up in the best neighborhood and then going to Cal State Long Beach. I think I was exposed to a different environment, different group of friends that helped me to increase and evolve. Then it was going to counseling because I definitely felt like in my community, that's a stigma. Like you're crazy if you go to counseling, but I was like, no, I think I need this. This actually is gonna help me. We we have talked about that a lot here. (laughs) Interesting enough from going to therapy, that's where I felt like this is something I want to do. Like I want to be able to help people resolve some of their issues. So I was inspired by my therapist. Mm -hmm. And then another significant thing was just being exposed to a different side of life of like, you don't have to sit in your emotion. You you can evolve and you don't have to just stay angry. And I think that's what traveling did for me. And interesting enough, Dr. Kreiser, I studied abroad with her in Italy. And that was one of the biggest things. And I felt like what I learned traveling, the world is your classroom. Mm-hmm. So I think education was my step into forgiveness. There's more to that emotion. Like you don't have to just stay there. You can always evolve. You don't have to stay angry. You don't have to stay in this. If you put your mind to it and dream of it, you can do it. So there's more that you can do. I'm imagining as you describe that, the anger is in a small circle and every step you just described made the circle wider and wider and wider, including international travel, including education, counseling. And it just seems so refreshing to hear this opening up. And it sounds like the picture of release to me. Thank you. I think it is. I still have my moments too. If I could talk to my younger self or just say something, it's just there's waves and there are ups and downs. And I do feel like it is a release and I'm getting farther and farther away from that resentment or that anger. Mm -hmm. But there are some times of like, man, why is my life like this? And it's like, it's okay. You're going to have those moments that you tap back into those negative thoughts or those doubts, but it's just to reflect on how much you've grown and what more you can do that has helped me stay on the right track. And even this, as far as like my father and being inspired by my counselor, that was one of the reasons that I went to grad school. I don't think I ever thought of going to grad school. Like that wasn't on my checklist or my to-do list. So I think it was just like, okay, you go to college, that's good. I got one degree. That's all I need. Yeah. But I think from that, I was like, okay, there's more that I can learn and there's more people that I can impact. And even like my specialty or something that I thought that I would like is 
at Promise Youth. And that was because like I worked at a group home before working at Twin Towers Jail. And it was like, I just saw that there's a pattern because I think I have to pay it back for it because I could have gone down a different path that I've seen people in my community and even past friends. But luckily for some reason, I didn't. So I just feel like I have to speak about this to try to help and pull someone else up because mm. it could have gone worse for me. You seem to dream very big. You know, I know you're talking about your education too, but I mean, you're creating things. You're using this creative part of yourself, even with doing in the light, all the way to saying your passions with nature and just opening up all these different avenues for yourself. I mean, there could be all these other ways you could have gone. And earlier, Dr. K is talking about this very, it's almost like that tight circle, which is the resentment, guilt, shame, all of those things that could keep you down and very small. But you seem to have this light about you that says, well, I'm going to dream big through this process. I commend how you're sharing your story and how other people that could hear this could think, I do those things. I think this way that could have those thoughts you were saying earlier. I got to this place, but that's it. But you're saying, no, like keep cracking those things open. It's exciting. The work, like a lot of times I'm like, what is the work? I'm like, you are doing the work. (laughs) Thank you. And and, and this makes me think of a recent conversation that I had with one of my sorority sisters and just thinking about like anxiety and doubt. There was things that she said and she was like, well, what if it goes bad? And I'm like, well, what if it goes good? Mm -hmm. There's so many times that we sit in this what if or this negative thought. And just because you're in a situation or a circumstance, that doesn't make you. That's just the segment or a piece of you. Before I took this as far as like, well, my dad's in prison and that's my life. Well, no, that's a portion of me. That's not like all of who Shardasia is. Mm -hmm. That's definitely a significant part who has helped me to be birthed into who I am and the woman I'm growing into. But that doesn't have to be who I am. And I think that's why it's also reflecting and sitting in your emotion. At times I was angry. And my grandma, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, if she was on this story, she would say, you were angry as a child because I was. (laughs) And I'm not recognizing why that one incident was affecting all of me, which realistically, it doesn't have to because that's only one thing that doesn't tap into creative side or my loving side or me as an artist or me as a social like that doesn't have to tap into that. And so it's just trying to understand where those emotions come from and working through it. I wrote down that you said that because now every time I feel fear, I'm going to say, what if it goes good? Yeah. That's the best way to do it. I think we always allow our fears and the unknown and uncertainty, but that's what life is. I don't think any of us have the answers for life. And if we did, then I want it, but I don't think we have it. (laughs) We're just winging it and going through it and trying to find the healthiest and best way to maneuver. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What I hear you saying is that you're not letting one small thing define your identity or who you are. Has your father been able to do that for himself too? Do you see that in his life? Ooh, you know, I think there's complexities in that. I think I would have to have that conversation with him. Maybe actually, because I think after he, well, we wouldn't even talking about him being released. He's talking about like, I want to cook and I want to, I want to do this. And I want to, and so it's funny because I think growing up, I used to like to cook. Now I don't, not as an adult. I don't. <laughs> and so my mom was like, you're like your dad. Like he likes to cook. And I'm like, how do, how am I like him? And I don't even know him. And so it's so funny to say that, like, he's aspiring to still, when he is re-entering back into society, he's like, I want to get back into that. Like, I know how to bake. 
I know how to cook. He used to box and he's like, I want to actually train someone. So Mm. I guess to some degree, he doesn't allow this experience to hinder who he is as a person. Mm -hmm. So I I guess I would have to say yes to that. Mm. I'm in this moment realizing how little I know to support someone like you who's had this. So what advice would you give us to help others who have been in your position? What should we be doing to help your growth and development and whatever support you need? Because I heard people called you angry. I'm sure that probably wasn't that helpful. Yeah. You know, Yeah. nothing against grandma or anything. No. <laughs> I'm just, she was being accurate, I'm sure. In this moment, I'm thinking, how would I support someone's journey to get forgiveness and reconciliation? What would your advice be? Asking intentional questions and allowing space. Mm. I think like, even for example, with my grandma, she's like, you were angry. And I was like, well, did anybody ever ask me why? Mm. And so it's just asking intentional questions with respect, of course, Mm -hmm. what can I do for you? Mm -hmm. Or how can I support you in that time? Because the support that I say that I need opposed to someone else who's dealing with the same experience may be significantly different. Mm -hmm. So that may be someone saying like, simply, I need a hug or let's take a walk. I think also asking like, in what ways can I educate myself? Because my father being impacted by mass incarceration, sometimes even with colleagues, I've had times class because we watched videos talking about mass incarceration and deportation. And I'm like, this is my life. So I have to step out of class. And so my colleagues are like, well, what, what can I do? And it's informing yourself because this is the norm as much as it may seem like it's not the norm or the privilege that it's not the norm for some it is the harsh reality for some asking intentional questions and allowing space and allowing those emotions. If you're open to them, Mm -hmm. I think also my mother is a big form of forgiveness Mm. because I'm like, wow, you had a child with this man. Like, how can you not be angry? Mm. Uh, But I think she thought bigger is like, I have a child, so I need to support you. Mm -hmm. But I just feel like how she maneuvered through a lot of experiences, I was able to learn forgiveness from her effortless actions just day in and day out. I didn't understand it, but now I, I get it. But, and even my mom has had her own difficulties with her parents and she's forgiven them. And she's like me holding on to this anger. It doesn't do anything for me. It doesn't serve any purpose for me to just be angry. Certainly that doesn't discredit your emotions. You can be angry. You can be sad because we're humans. So we're going to feel that, but it's a matter of working through that and understanding like, is that necessary in my life? Is that what I want? You had a good model in that. It sounds like. Yeah. That's a big compliment. (laughs) Yeah. You talked a little bit about your father's family, the other side of the family. Mm-hmm. Well, how has it gone and where do you anticipate it to go? Yeah. When I was younger, I communicated, I think when I was in high school, when I started to tell my mother, like I wanted to connect to my father, she was a, able to try to connect me to some family members, but then it just strained. It was a little bit difficult. And one of my connecting um, uncles, he passed away. So it was a little bit of difficulty to try to connect. Mm-hmm. But then after that, I didn't really much talk to them. And so it wasn't until, I think there's interesting signs how things work. My sister works at the same facility that my mother works for, like the same medical facility. And so they ran into each other and her name and last name is how they were able to connect. 
And so from that, it was like inquiry of like, okay, like maybe we should try to make this work. And so I've communicated with my sister. Even recently, I've communicated with my father. I asked, why haven't I had communication with your mother? Is there something that I did? And, and I think that may be my inner child of like, it wasn't me knowing that it probably wasn't, but there was just life experiences that happened. And since then, she's made an effort. I've also feel like speaking out about my situation has helped as well. Like even on Facebook, I think that was the first time that I posted the picture and spoke about it. And some family members have reached out and I'm like, okay, I want to explore it. It is a little bit difficult though, realistically, even though I'm open because I feel like I've grown up without them. So what does that dynamic look like? Mm -hmm. And how do you step into family? What does that look like? Is it going to be awkward? Yeah. But I'm open to it. And I think also just trying to create more of a support system when he does return home. Mm-hmm. That's also my goal. So still a still a journey. Yeah, certainly. Mm-hmm. In the um, process of reconciliation that Dr. Kate was talking about, I know we've talked a little bit today about empathy and how you've experienced empathy. How have you and your dad bridged the connection with each other? How are you guys building your connection? since this last, like basically from the time you were 18, really, when you began this process? Yeah, I think it's just literally having basic conversations to try to learn each other. More than likely, he's asking me what my life is like, because I think his life is routine. How we build our relationship is just trying to see like, what are our likes? What are our emotions? How are we similar? How are we dissimilar? Mm-hmm. I think that's more so how we're trying to rebuild. When you see him, are you able to hug, hug him or touch him? Or has that not been possible? Yes. When you go into the prison, for me, the first time that I went to visit him, it was such a long wait. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, is he here? Is he in trouble? Like, what's going on? And so I guess it was because he's not used to having visitors. But then he was like, okay, I have to get ready because the only person who would come to visit me is my daughter. Mm-hmm. And so I guess he tried to get all cool and like to see me. <laughs> and the moment like we hugged literally and cried for a, a big portion of the time that I saw him. Mm-hmm. I'm hearing all of the strands that in Shriver's model about rebuilding the relationship. I'm looking at truth, forbearance, empathy, commitment. Is one harder in that list? That's hard to say. I feel like it would be truth. Mm. Like as humans, we don't want to deal with the truth. And I think that's also when I think of truth, I think of accountability. Mm. And I think that's why for a long time, I wasn't able to properly heal because I also wasn't holding myself accountable or holding my father accountable to ask those questions. Mm. So for me, I was angry, but I was never even asking the questions that made me angry. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't even able to process and go through those emotions and work through stuff. So I think it was like being afraid of the truth or just not wanting to be around it. So I just dismissed it. Did he always want to reconcile? Did you always get that from him? Yes. I, I think I have even, <laughs> I don't know if it's because of this, but it may be, I save all birthday cards. And I think it's probably because of him because he used to send me birthday cards and try to call. And I think it was me who was just over it. But now I still save birthday cards. So I'm pretty sure I can pull up a birthday card from years ago Mm -hmm. that he's written me. So he's always wanted to. Encouraging that that he tried for so many years. He kept on the same path in that way. Probably gave you the confidence to come visit him. Probably. That probably plays a part into it. So when I reached out to you after you posted that picture on Facebook of you and your dad, 
I was really touched by that picture and how much peace it gave me to look at. And I'm wondering if it would be okay to post that on our podcast announcement of this episode. Would it be okay to use that picture? Yeah, it would. I feel like if you listen to this podcast and you saw the picture, you'd know more of the story. Yes. Because the story is about peace and the story is about what hard work gets you. Yeah. And that's restoration, reconciliation. Yeah. And it's beautiful. Yeah. I think I'm definitely at a, a way more peace than before. And even I do feel like I got a lot of love from that. And from that, I feel like I realized I should talk about things more. Even mm -hmm. though I am going through my own journey of healing, I'm not going to ever say I'm healed because I think there's a lot of trauma that affects us all. Mm -hmm. And we're just figuring out ways to cope with it. And even when he gets home, I'm still going to have to heal. And I might have moments and spurts there, but I'm definitely at way more peace than before. And from that, I'm like, this is significant and shows me a sign of, you know, talking about things and having conversation because you never know what it can do for someone else or even yourself. Well, thank you for sharing. It's been eye-opening and and your story is so powerful and I'm really grateful that you're vulnerable and willing to share that because a lot of people aren't and and it is very powerful and I, I feel like you offer so much freedom. You talk about what I hear is freedom for yourself, but offer a lot of freedom for other people who want to do the work also. Thank you. Yeah, it means a lot because I'm like, I am living in freedom. Yes, now. Yeah, I appreciate your voice as somebody that works with um, men and women that have been released from custody. I always wonder the children's thoughts. It's encouraging to want to even have conversation with them about rebuilding these parts of their lives, you know? So, yeah. And even from this, I've been trying to figure out the many different ways that I possibly can impact more because I have someone that uh, grew up in San Diego who were associates or know each other from mutual friends and her mother was incarcerated. And so she had to rebuild and she started to communicate about it. And, and I told her, maybe there's something that we can do, whether it's like some sort of workshops or podcasts ourselves, because I just know as a teenager, that's when it hurt me the most. Mm -hmm. And actually young adult, because you're still trying to find yourself and figure stuff out. Yeah. And I don't think you're talking about your emotions as much. And that if you are, praise to you. Because I feel like most, at 18, you don't really know yourself. You're just doing things. Like, <laughs> even 16, you don't know yourself and you think you do, or you think you're grown, or you think you're an adult and you have it figured out. And I think that was most, that was the most time or impactful time that I needed to talk about this. And it could have saved me a lot of years, but everything happens for a reason. So I'm not regretful. But I was telling her, like, I think there's something that we can do because there's definitely the niche. And even when I was working with At Promise Youth, that was the gap of like teenage years or almost young adult. Yeah. And someone either helped them or they didn't. And, and that is the make or break as far as like your emotions and what happens after. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm excited to see what you'll build from that. Yeah. Well, we hope to keep in touch with you about this. Thank you so much for being here with us and for teaching us and giving this whole beautiful area of reconciliation uh, a voice and a, a, a relationship and a life. Thank you for having me. I was able to share my story, which I hope can impact other people. And it helped me too. This was a form of therapy to talk about it. I definitely thought I was going to bawl my eyes out. So I also feel like that's a growth. And it was okay if I did, but yes. it just felt like I'm a little bit more comfortable 
to talk about it and not be a little like regretful or or embarrassed from this situation. No, it takes a lot of courage. And I think a lot of bravery to be as bold as you're being and to walk through these parts of your life with strangers. It's out there and people can receive it as they receive it, you know, but I think as people sitting in this room with you virtually to witness how much courage that takes. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Shardasia, for coming on the podcast and for sharing all of this important work in reconciliation. Uh, we feel honored to have learned about it, and we admire the tough work that you've been doing to, to have so much progress that we're seeing today and talking about. If anyone listening wants to see the picture of Shardasia and her father, you can find that on our Instagram at afaf.podcast. And please remember to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. Thank you for listening to Asking for a Friend. Let us know what you thought of the episode. Our email is hello at afafpodcast.com. This show is for educational purposes only and is copyrighted. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting. Thanks for listening to Asking for a Friend with Talk Talk.